0: Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our text is the gospel history according to St. Matthew, as recorded in chapter 27, verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate's wife sent him a message. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, she said since I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. This is the gospel history of our Lord. During this Lent season, we cover the overall theme, Lenten Confessions Proclaimed by Christ's Enemies. And that began two weeks to two months prior to today's text, when Jesus raised Lazarus, not too far away from Jerusalem, and the Sanhedrin gathers an emergency meeting and says, what are we going to do about this guy? And the high priest Caiaphas, who's actually inspired by the Holy Spirit to say the words he said, while it was Caiaphas' own murderous heart that says it, it's better for us that one man die for the nation than that the people cause themselves to perish. Last week in our sermon, we got to see that played out as Jesus is arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. And they ask him, are you the Christ? And he says, if I answer you, you won't believe it. But from now on, you will see the son of man ascended and sitting at the right hand of God, the father. Oh, that enrages them. Are you the son of God? Yes, I am as you say. And they confess, we've heard it from his own lips. Now they've drug him out of where the Sanhedrin is met. And they take him to the Roman governor, to Pontius Pilate. It's ironic that they won't go into the inner part of the praetorium because they don't want to dirty themselves with ceremonial uncleanliness. Never mind that murder makes you ceremonially unclean. Pilate has Jesus and he can tell they want him to kill him. They don't want to be guilty of murder. They don't want the government coming after him. But Pilate says, I find no basis for charges against this man. And they say, if he weren't guilty, we wouldn't have brought him to you. But Pilate interviews him. Scratches his head. Why are you here? You've committed no crime. He finds a way out. You're a Galilean and he sends him off to Herod. Oh, Herod's happy because he can see a a magic show. He wants to see the miracles, but Jesus remains silent before him. Even they mock him, but finally Herod sends him back with the message. I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate recognizes the role of government is to protect life. And this man, this, our Savior, has done nothing wrong. He announces that, but they shout, crucify, crucify. Pilate finally thinks he's figured a way out. He says, who should I release? Jesus, the Christ, or Barabbas? Seems at this point in time, there's been a moment for them to deliberate and that's when the message comes, that is today's sermon text. His wife says, have nothing to do with that righteous man since I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And that's our theme. And that's the strong confession. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Pilate already knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 17 and 18, the two verses before this, we're told, so when they were assembled, Pilate said to them, which one do you want me to release, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called Christ? For Pilate knew that they had handed Jesus over to him because of envy. But what is the confession given? Notice Pilate's wife doesn't say have nothing to do with that innocent man. Innocent would mean that he had not committed the crime. But Pilate can't find a crime. Pilate knows he's innocent. Ultimately, the charges for which he'll be crucified is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Of that he was guilty, but there was no crime against that. In fact, he's not just the king of the Jews, he's the king of all creation. But Pilate's wife doesn't say have nothing to do with that innocent man, meaning that he had not committed whatever crime he's here for. No, 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 no. She says with that righteous man. See, righteous means something totally different than just innocence. If I had a tape measure and I cut a stick at exactly three feet, and once I cut it, I measured it, and it was exactly three feet, it meets a standard. And from then on, I could use it as a yardstick. There's three feet. Righteous is a standard of moral behavior. Righteous is a standard of justice, of uprightness. She's confessing in this that he's always... That way. Not just innocent of a crime before them, but he is righteous, brothers and sisters in Christ. What is meant by righteous? Adam and Eve were created in God's image. When they fell into sin, they lost his image. A lot of people banter about what God's image is, but the thing that they lost was holiness. Being righteous means being holy. She is confessing by saying he's righteous, that he has a righteousness no one else has. Nobody in their life conforms to that standard. Nobody is righteous the way God himself is righteous. Nobody is holy the way God himself is holy. Because in God's eyes, if you sin once, you're not holy. But we sin all the time. But Jesus is righteous. He's the standard. He conforms to that standard all of his life. It's amazing. We're not told she was inspired to say this. But when you hear her say that righteous man, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 23, verses 5 through 6, his words come to mind. Listen, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, who will reign wisely as king and establish justice and righteousness on earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. And that's why this confession matters to you and I tonight, brothers and sisters in Christ. Because she recognized in that dream that Jesus is righteous. And you and I know that Jesus is our righteousness. He never sinned once. So you and I who sin daily are credited with Christ's holiness. He's righteous. You have to be perfectly righteous to go to heaven, but he has credited you and I with his righteousness. We wear his righteousness. If we want to stand before God with our own righteousness, we're going to end up in hell. But when we stand before God with Christ's righteousness, heaven is flung wide open to us. As a righteous one, he suffers on the cross for us. He bears all of our sins as if he was guilty while being righteous so that he can give us. His righteousness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's an amazing confession here. She's by saying, you Have nothing to do with that righteous man, she's confessing more than innocence on Jesus' behalf. She's confessing that he meets a standard that no other human being does. Whether she realizes it or not, he's perfectly righteous. He's righteous all the time, and as we hear through the prophet Jeremiah, he's your and my righteousness. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, Pilate's in quite a quandary here, isn't he? See, no matter what he does, he's in a situation where, as we say, you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't. But the purpose of government is to protect life. Sometimes we forget that and think the purpose of government is to do other things. It's to protect life, and one of the ways it protects life is to protect the property by which we sustain our lives. So knowing Jesus is innocent, knowing as we're told in verse 18 that they handed him over to Pilate because of envy, what is the right thing for Pilate to do? He should call on the Roman soldiers that are at his disposal to protect that man. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not what happened. But if he did that, Pilate recognized the Sanhedrin had worked the crowd up. They'd tear the praetorium apart. There'd be a riot. And ultimately, what did happen in 77 AD would have happened that day. The Romans would have come in and knocked the stuffing out of the people in Jerusalem. Pilate starts to play politician trying to get him off. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can play the could have, would have, should have. If he had protected Jesus, Jesus still would have ended up at the cross because he was to sacrifice his life for us. But Pilate at least wouldn't have to suffer the guilty conscience of knowing he crucified an innocent man. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I bring this up because Pilate's wife says, I've suffered many things today in a dream. Now, you and I have woke up from nightmares and ooh, grabbed the chest. The chest kind of hurts. Oh, it was only a dream. Thank goodness. And a minute or two later, we feel better. She's confessing more than just waking up from a nightmare. She said, I've suffered many things. There seems to be something supernatural about this dream. If we were pagan people, we would think of dreams as omens in many cases. We know this dream probably came from God. People, unbelieving Christians, but those who are, don't want to believe the word of God is the word of God, will try to explain it away. So she might have heard Pilate talking about him because he's in Jerusalem and in a planet on her mind. She seemed to have a kind of suffering you normally don't get from dreams, brothers and sisters in Christ. The truth of the matter is, she suffered in that dream because she recognized a righteous man was being railroaded. The contents of that dream we'll never know other than the fact that they made her suffer because she recognized Jesus as righteous But brothers and sisters in Christ, she confesses she suffered. She confesses unavoidable suffering. Pilate can either suffer for doing the right thing and have the Sanhedrin turn on him, or he can suffer the guilty conscience of knowing he allowed a man to be murdered. We know the rest of the story. He'll suffer the conscience. Brothers and sisters in Christ... She's confessing suffering on her behalf, but there's suffering in this world no matter what. And Christ will suffer for our sins no matter what Pilate chose to do. And it's because Christ suffers for our sins that you and I are saved. He would bear the eternal punishment of the hell you and I deserve and he'd get it done in three hours time. So you and I will never have to suffer that torment. Thanks be to our Lord. But even in our lives, brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what we choose, there's going to be suffering. See, Jesus says, he who will follow me must deny himself and take up his own cross and follow me. The life of a Christian is a life of sacrifice. God benefits us for that sacrifice. We sacrifice our time and he nourishes us with his word. We sacrifice our offerings and he returns them to us tenfold with many things. But that's not how the world looks at it, is it? See, the world thinks you're foolish for following this God. They think it's foolish for God to allow himself to be manhandled and put on a cross to die for us. And let's just admit it. They hate having to hear the fact that they need a Savior. For to admit that you have a Savior is to admit that you're not righteous, that you're not holy. And people don't want to deal with that. They want to stand before God and brag about how good they think they are or how decent they are. And they'll hate you. They'll hate you because they hate the Savior, because they hate the idea that they need a Savior. So they look at you as foolish. But what is the other option, brothers and sisters in Christ, before we get into the suffering for following Christ? If you pick the other, you're going to end up making false gods anyways. Maybe you'll make them out of idols and you'll worship something you yourself have made and you'll serve that and boy, what a what a wasted work. The ultimate suffering for that is an eternity in hell. But here in America, we often think we're smarter than that. No, our gods are more complicated than that, aren't they? We can can make money and material possessions, our God. You Christians are foolish because you spend your time going to church. You need to spend your time putting a better shelter over your head, having a bigger house and having more money and better savings accounts. And rest so you can earn those things. But you know what? Those are false gods. And they are false gods that say more, 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 more. No matter how much you work, no matter how much you save up, no matter how much you hoard and embrace, they'll deteriorate. Stock markets will crash. It's amazing to see people try to hold on to that false god like they're trying to hold on to water in their hands. And it runs between the fingers and goes away. You know, another popular God we have here in the postmodern world is government. We try to get the government to take the place of God, to give us good, rob from the rich and give to the poor and do more than just guard our lives, protect our lives and our property. And you know what? If that's the false God people chase after, it's going to disappoint them. They're going to suffer because the guy in the other party is going to get elected president. Somebody we don't really like, but he's he's not quite what we like, but not as bad as the other person. Well, let's just admit it. We end up voting for the lesser of the two evils. The government's always going to let us down because God subjected this world to decay. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the opposite end of this is choosing to follow Christ, and we're going to take on crosses. We'll be hated by our family, our neighbors, and our friends because we want to see them in heaven. But for them to know they have a Savior, they have to know they need a Savior. And they'll hate us for pointing out their sin. And that doesn't mean we do it as a busybody or a holier-than-thou person. But brothers and sisters in Christ, that suffering is nothing. God lets us know that that suffering... He uses that to bring us to and keep us strong in our faith. So we're able to endure those crosses because we know they are tailor-fit acts of love for God to keep us in our faith. And we know ultimately, no matter what suffering we endure, let them take our physical lives. We are eternally alive because Christ is our righteousness. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a legend, and I intentionally use the word legend that Pilate's wife became a Christian. Some of the things that record it seem to be so fanciful that if you don't believe anything else with it, then why believe that part? We will never know whether or not she actually became a Christian until we're in heaven. By then it probably won't matter. But what a strong confession she gave and a confession that strengthens you and I. That Lenten confession proclaiming, have nothing to do with that righteous man, is confessing more than innocence. You and I see the Lord is our righteousness. Confessing unavoidable suffering, Christ would suffer for us, so the suffering we have is a loving God who's ruling over all creation to keep us from suffering an eternity of hell. Amen. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.